0: underdog collectibles is an online shop run for collectors by collectors join them every sunday tuesday and thursday night as they break new products talk sports and hopefully you'll pull a great hit to add your collection visit them at www.udogcollect.com and tell them wax pack hero sent you remember always bet on the underdog You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Well, I've been at this podcasting thing for about nine months now, and I continue to see how much I have to learn. I didn't have a podcasting background when I came in and started doing this, and so one of the things that's been super important to me is that I continue to learn from the people who have been doing this a while. I've talked to John Newman, I've talked to the guys from Go GTS Live, I've talked to several other podcasters out there, but one of the other people who did a lot to give me some advice and some tips and some feedback when I first got started was Eric Norton from Beckett. He's Some people would call him the godfather of of sports card podcasting. Um, He's been in it a long time. As we talk about, you'll hear uh, early on in the conversation that we're about to have that there weren't very many people doing it. And so I have really appreciated getting feedback from Eric along the way. And one of the things that I just want to help highlight is... If you don't have a background, you can still get into this sports card content game if you have a passion for it. And So I try to highlight conversations like this along the way that show some of the things that I've learned, as well as give you an opportunity to hear from some of the other people in the the hobby that have been doing this a lot longer, and maybe you can pick something up along the way. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and roll the, the interview with Eric. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today, we've got, as I mentioned before, Eric Norton joining us. Many people may refer to him as the godfather of sports card podcasting. I'm not sure that he accepts that himself, but we're going to go ahead and bring him in and have a little conversation today about content creation in the hobby. So welcome, Eric.
1: That's a that's a, tough, that's a tough thing to live up to, man. I'd like to be like the godfather of cheesecake or something like that. We can make that happen. I'm good, but to, to be the Godfather of sports card podcasting—that's that's a that's a lot. That's a heavy load.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that, you know, it stems from the fact that when when you uh, came onto the the podcasting, and we'll talk about that in a little bit more. But when you came onto the podcasting, there was only you know a handful of sports card podcasts at the time, mm-hmm. and with the Beckett name behind you. Um, I think that just gave so much credibility to the show and what you guys were doing with the show that that's where a lot of that comes from. But let's let's talk a little bit more about that for those of you who don't know, Eric. Let's I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background even prior to to coming to Beckett. And did you sure. collect as a kid? What did you do as you as you started adulthood and those types of things? So um,
1: yeah, I collected as a kid. I, I tell the story, you know, it was 87 tops that got me into it. And I still love that set. And I mean, ultimately it was, but really where it really started was my sister uh, had a subscription to sports illustrated kids. And they had, you know, they had those perforated cards you could pull out yep. and she, she did that. And I checked them out and I really, uh, I liked those, but then, uh, then it was, a, it was like, so obviously that's well after 87 tops, but somehow, some way my dad, he was a, he was a a plumber, and he come home with boxes of cards sometimes, like, like like full boxes of cards that, you know, I remember a a big box of ninety score, uh, you know, master was it ninety one score with the master blasters uh, and that kind of stuff in it. So you had that, and the eighty seven tops was one of these boxes that he came home with, and uh, I fell in love with the Bo Jackson card. Uh, Bo Jackson, you know, you're my age, he's he's a iconic hero of that era, so. You bet. Uh, that was that was Bo Jackson, and then, then, really was that's as fast as it went from baseball. As for me finding 87 tops in baseball, it was basketball. Immediately thereafter, because you know, then we're getting getting into you know the the Jordan rules and and the uh, you know the last dance Chicago Bulls in, later in the decade there. So it was basketball, but I always had a had a soft spot uh, for 87 tops, and then. If I'm being completely honest, my favorite card is, is it's that Bo Jackson rookie. But then number two is that rookie Henderson rookie uh, from 80 Tops I love. Absolutely love that.
0: Prior to coming to Beckett, you were in the military and a variety of other other things?
1: Yeah, uh, I was in the military. Uh, served two tours in Iraq. During my time in the service, I went to 36 different states. Uh, I went to seven countries, had a good time there. Uh, everywhere I went, I had a good time. had... I saw a lot of stuff that I didn't, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't get to see otherwise. Then after I got out of the military, I started working for a company called Linden International. And uh, Linden is probably best known for turning down the Ice Road Truckers show. They were uh, they were approached by uh by the, the production company to do Ice Road Truckers, and they, and they said no. And then they turned to Conway, which was our biggest competition, uh, and they started doing it. Linden was an interesting job because uh, I worked... I worked in the mailroom but it was all oil and gas so we shipped explosives from Houston Texas up to like Prudhoe Bay Alaska so I learned a lot about the oil and gas industry working there and then while I was working there I also got a part-time gig with the Seattle Mariners where I sold uh, game used memorabilia like day of game used memorabilia so that was a lot of fun I worked there for three seasons and they were horrible all of those seasons and I don't think they've been good since 2001 actually but uh, it, I, had, I had a lot of, a lot of fun. I always wanted to work in baseball. I wanted to work in sports and I made that dream come true.
0: That's cool. From a collecting perspective, you've talked a lot about how your own personal level of collecting has ebbed and flowed over the years and kind of mm-hmm. continues to evolve. What are some of those areas of interest now?
1: It's still Kyle Seeger for me. Uh, I, but then, you know, I'll take breaks and, uh, want, I'll just put it aside and, and because working at Beckett, it can kind you of, can get a little wear on you a little bit because you're trying to keep up with everything. So, uh, Kyle Seeger, in, interestingly enough, I just started picking up, uh, color, color prism, uh, prisms of 20, 2020 select, uh, Kyle Seeger and putting that together. I helped my son put together the 69 Seattle pilots team set okay. uh, from, from tops that that was all him. That was all his money, but I helped him find him, And he had a lot of fun from that. He's, he's from, uh, he's from Seattle. He was born in Seattle. So, um, that was fun. Uh, other things I do pick up uh, are the the Ricky Henderson rookie and then the Bo Jackson rookie I'll pick up if I see him cheap enough. And I just – I know that this is a podcast and you can't see it, but I'll show you. I just started picking up these 1990 Donruss, Juan Gonzalez reverse negatives. Yeah. And I just – I think they're cool. I just – I was a big Juan Gonzalez fan. I, I you know, lived growing up in Texas. I, I thought Igor Igor was awesome. So seeing a left-handed Juan Gonzalez was uh, pretty sweet. And I think I think he could probably still just muscle
0: one over the fence on a left-hander. There's it's a good chance that that happens. But those <laughs> cards and the cards like that are some of the most fun things to me about the hobby mm-hmm. right now, is because those were big cards when mm-hmm. we were young, and they were either one hard to find because there was no such thing as the internet and eBay and ComC and all these other places online where you could go get exactly what you want. You had to stumble across them or be lucky enough to find them at a show. And as a kid, they were still a little bit more expensive, but you can pick them up for a buck or two now. And I was just having that conversation with somebody at the shop this weekend about how all these cards from when we were kids are affordable and fun to finally track down now that you've got, you know, a few dollars to spend and um, they're just a lot of fun.
1: I won one, I won one of these Gonzales cards on eBay the other day for 30 cents and I was ecstatic, man. I was like, this That's right. is, it's, it was 30 cents and like, you know, it was a dollar five shipping for, you know, PWE. I was like, this is the, this is the greatest deal I've ever found. This is awesome. I was, I was so happy and yeah, it's, you know, it's going to sit in my, my little PC area. I'm never going to get
0: rid of it and it's going to be fine. Delivered to your door for less than $1.50. Can't yeah. beat it. So how did you eventually find your way to Beckett? You know, um,
1: I've thought a lot about this recently because it's interesting to me. Uh, I was at a card shop, and uh, the guy—the na- guy's name is Justin Gruner. He still works at Beckett. I overheard him talking to the owner of the card shop about how they were looking for people at Beckett, and I just complete happenstance overheard him. So as he was getting ready to walk out the door, I said, hey, you know, I, I heard you talking to Scott about uh, guys at Beckett and, uh, you know, can I give you my information? And I, and I did, and I didn't think anything of it. And I was still working at Linden this, at this time. I had transferred from Linden in Seattle down to Linden in Texas, and I was still, like, heavily involved uh, in the day-to-day business of Linden in the oil and gas industry. While I was collecting, I really wasn't, uh, you know, pursuing a career change. Then I heard him say that, and I gave him my information, and I really thought, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And then like three weeks later, uh, his boss called me and I was like, wow, that's interesting. He actually moved on my information and they they found some interest in there. And that began a three month process of me interviewing and waiting. (laughs) I think I interviewed three times and I waited, I waited and waited and waited and I finally got hired and, um, it was again just complete happenstance. I got hired to be the, the coin analyst, and uh, I I can admit this now. I'm sorry to people at Beckett. Uh, I completely lied. I knew nothing about coins. Uh, I just wanted to get my foot in the door, and I did. And then when I when I was able to do that, uh, I, I I was the coin analyst for gosh, it felt like at least a good half a year, eight eight months. And I got and I finally got moved over to hockey. And that's where I stayed until the beginning of this year.
0: So then how you weren't the one who started the podcast, you took over and came in and joined that, that as it was, was already established. How did that come about that you then moved into um, podcasting?
1: So, um, we have to go back a little bit before I joined the military. Um, I was going to go to the Cleveland school for broadcasting and, um, <laughs> I, I went and I, I, auditioned and I passed, I did well on the audition. I, I got, uh, you know, entrance into the school and, and, or, and it was all going to be good. And then I looked at the bill and I was like, well, I can't pay for this. So I'm going to join the military, which is what I did. And, uh, the thought was, was I would, I would always go back to school. So when I, when I ended up going back to school some 12 years later, it wasn't for broadcasting. It was for business. And, um, I just, I, I still had that dream though. I still wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be a radio, a radio host, a talk show host. And the podcast that was there uh, at Beckett at the time was like on its last little breath. It was not doing well at all. It was very, um, uh, it was very, staggered and when they released it and, uh, there was no set timeline or anything like that. So, uh, I, I jumped on with Derek Ficken and Derek and I, uh, rode that bus for a while and Derek then made this change for out of our, out of our department from the pricing department. He, he made the change over to the grading department and became a sales rep over there. So, uh, I naturally just kind of stepped into that, that lead role and, uh, Paul Worth had started working there by then. And I said, Hey, Paul, you know, we kind of have a, we have a pretty good rapport. Why don't you come over and do this with me? I kind of made him do it. He, I don't think he wanted to do it. Uh, I kind of made him do it and he, you know, I had him come over and he, uh, we, we had a nice three-year run.
0: Yeah. You continued to, to grow that show and, and notoriety. Um, you know, the, the presence at some of the, the bigger live shows up in Toronto and also the National. And that's actually where we first met was the mm-hmm. 2017 National when I was coming fresh off of a Fat Packs <laughs> Basketball Fantasy League Championship and yeah. <laughs> was mid-baseball mid, mid baseball season that, that following year. And that's when we had a, a chance to meet for the first time. And that was before the blog was still a glimmer in my eye and I hadn't even started the <laughs> blog or anything yet at that point. And you continued to have success with that podcast for, like you said, the next several years and, and got that headed in the right direction. But then this spring you made the pivot to shift from being the fat packs podcast in audio only form to Beckett live presents. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and, and that transition?
1: Yeah. Basically that was, we were, my hand was kind of forced. Um, the, the, the Dallas County judge where Beckett is at in Dallas County, they made the decision that if you weren't an essential worker, you couldn't be at work. So I had to take my ball and go home. I like I was working from home and uh, I didn't have any of my podcasting equipment with me. Like we were, we had to leave. We had to go and get out of the house uh, out of the building. So I grabbed what I grabbed and, uh, I walked out of the I walked out of the Beckett building on March, 20, March twentieth I think maybe the twenty first, and I was like, well, I can't podcast. I have sponsors who uh who are are sponsoring the show. I got to do something, and um, one USB microphone later in a in a webcam, <laughs> we 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 created a uh, Beckett Live Presents. It was something that I didn't necessarily want to do, but I'll tell you that I've had a lot of fun doing it. Um, I've, I, fought, I fought and fought and fought uh, the switch to video for the longest time. I'll, I've always thought that a, a vlog or a, a, a video cast is not a podcast. I've always stood by that. And that's why I never saw guys like uh, you, you know, go GTS Live. I didn't see them as competition, because they did a video show. I I liked them, and I I loved what they did, and I I loved working with them. But I never saw them as a competition, as a podcast, because I I thought it was a different format. Uh, So I I was happy. I don't want to sound conceited or anything. I was happy on top of the mountain uh, as a podcaster in in this segment. And then when my hand was forced to do something else, it was a challenge at first, but I've really grown into liking it.
0: It's one of those things that I've been thinking a lot about. And when it comes to content creation, there are some video only shows, there are some audio only shows, Mm -hmm. and then there are some shows like you mentioned with go GTS, like the, about the cards guys, a few Mm -hmm. of those other things that are primarily recorded live as video, but then the next day podcast it out. Um, One of the the interesting things to me is I participated with um, some of the virtual shows, the virtual nationals that happened Mm -hmm. earlier this year, Mm -hmm. Um, the the guys from Breaker Culture and the one that they put on. Some of the people that were attending that video-driven show, there was no crossover between those people who are fans of those video-only shows Mm -hmm. and podcasting. And even though there are some shows that overlap, there is still a pretty segmented audience for those two things. I was just curious, what's your experience been? Have you had people who were big fans of the podcast that have also joined you and come over? Have you lost audience? Have you found new audience as a, as a video only show? Mm -hmm. How's that transition been since you're pretty much strictly video now at this point?
1: Right. Um, you know, speaking of that, it's a. I should probably be uploading the audio file. You and I have talked about that off air before. Uh, it's something that I should be probably doing. Uh, I've found a whole new audience, actually. Uh, there are guys that that came over. You know, there, there's a long timers, the guy that list, the guys that have listened uh, for forever, and I appreciate that. But I, I have also enjoyed um, those those new guys who uh, who pop in and like, hey, I love your show and. Uh, uh, thanks for doing these videos. This is great. And that's, that's all well and good. And then there's guys, like you said, that are completely unaware of who I am. And i said, I know that sounds weird, but like, they're completely unaware that I was the host of the fat packs podcast for three years. And then they come over and they're like, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Who is this? And I'm like, well, I do have a resume. Let me, let me help you with this. And I'm not trying to sound rude or anything like that, but you know, I've been doing this for a while. The, Beckett's just not going to throw me out there <laughs> to the wolves, but uh, those guys have actually become uh, avid—you know—I won't say will yeah—avid watchers of the show, and it's fun just to interact with them.
0: Have you seen or have you observed any other emerging trends in the hobby from a content creation perspective?
1: Um, the quick show—I I call it the quick show. The like you when you started doing your podcast, it was you know, somewhere between 12 and 18 minutes. Uh, I, I've, I've noticed that, that like, you know, John Newman does his hobby quick hits and it's, you know, it's, it's nine minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, that, that quick podcast format is something that uh, is, is uh, seems to be popular and catching on. And then on the other end of that, on the other side is the long form video, video well-produced, uh, you know, nice visual content uh, being put out there uh, every night. I don't, I can't do that every night. I don't know how people do that. That's a lot of work, but you know, that, that well-produced timely show is uh, gaining, gaining uh, some popularity and content creation in this segment.
0: One of the other things that I've observed, you know, I came back, as I've talked about, came back to the hobby in 2016. As we've talked about for those first several years, there's only a handful of, hobby related shows. And as I look back on old archives, I see evidence that ages ago, tops might've had a show. Um, mm-hmm. But for the most part, manufacturers seem to have been somewhat reluctant to enter this podcasting space. And I just wonder: do you have any perspective on why it seems that there's no like manufacturer driven or manufactured owned shows at this point gts as a distributor has one beckett as a media company has one and has had one for years but the manufacturers themselves seem to be reluctant to to step into that arena
1: you know uh it's interesting you say that because uh, a couple of years ago i i didn't know this but i i stumbled stumbled upon tops podcast and i thought to myself then i was like if tops ever really wanted to do this like and put effort into it, they could absolutely destroy, destroy my numbers, destroy anybody else's numbers on a weekly basis because of the, the kind of people that they could pull. And at the time, uh, Suze was working there and I thought that she would be a perfect candidate to host that show. Suze does a great job with the, with her Twitter content. The, uh, what does she does? Card talk, hashtag card talk. Yep. And I was like, Suze, Suze would just absolutely kill at this. And I I don't know why they never did that. The same with Panini. Um, I don't wanna sound like a homer here, but I hold Tracy Hackler in great regard. And I've been to events where Tracy is is the MC and Tracy is, is just guiding the conversation to where he wants it to go. And it's a, like, it's a beautiful transition. I don't know why Tracy Hackler and Panini does they don't do a podcast because of the the kind of names that they can pull on their roster uh, is is absolutely stunning. With, now, with that being said, um, Upper Deck too, Chris Carlin could would do a great job. Chris is really busy too. Um, I maybe it has something to do that the, they don't want it to sound like a big commercial. Yeah, you know, uh, I I do I try very hard not to have. Uh, the our, the podcast or the shows that we do at Beckett to sound like a big commercial. I don't want them to sound like, Hey, come, come try our products. Beckett's been around for almost 40 years. People know who Beckett is. Uh, I don't, uh, they don't need me to tell them. So uh, I, I think that might have something to do with it, but just from the guest list alone that any of these companies could pull, could you imagine tuning into a podcast or a video show from, from upper deck with, with LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and Tiger Woods, I mean, right. Who wouldn't want to listen to that?
0: Yeah, it's and that's that's one of those reasons that it seems like there is there is opportunity there for mm-hmm. for them, and it just kind of surprised me as I've gotten into this podcasting space and learned more about it over this last year. Uh, it just really surprised me that they have not um, gone deeper in into that into that arena. Something else has been on my mind a lot lately, and it's been a topic that has been on a lot of collectors' minds is the new entrance that we've got into this hobby and it's this um, collecting world that, that we've got. and whether they they're folks like us who collected as kids and are getting back into it, whether it is new younger people who are into the the more the flipping aspect and see the the financial gain or the potential financial gain that can come with it, there's a lot of new entrants. And one of the things that I've been observing is there doesn't seem to be as much of an overlap between these new collectors slash investors that are entering the market and the old guard. These, These new folks don't really seem to care about the old guard's conventional wisdom about how you should buy, sell, and consume, and create content. They're just going ahead and doing it themselves. And they're creating their own content about the way that they wanna buy, sell, and trade and are finding other like-minded people who want to do the same thing. Have you, have you observed that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've, we've discussed this in circles.
1: And you're absolutely right. There is no regard for, <laughs> there is no regard for it all. And I, you know what, it's kind of, it's kind of a stretch, but go with me here. It's kind of like when a player, when somebody dies and they're, you know, In the hobby, that old guard is like, okay, there's a moratorium on, on, on Kobe Bryant cards. No one's going to sell Kobe Bryant cards for a week. No one's going to sell Tom Seaver cards for a week. That new guy doesn't care about your, your, your thoughts about what's okay to sell and what's not, not okay to sell during that time period. So they're going to they're gonna tr- strike while the iron is hot and get what they can out of it. And, you know, like it or not, that's just how it is. They don't need us to. They don't need us as content, content creators to tell them what's right or wrong or what we should be investing in, uh, uh, or, or in, investing in or not. They have the guys that they listen to, and uh, they they've made up their own minds about that. So there, there's uh, there's definitely a, a d- distinct line drawn in the sand uh, about about all of those things. And it's it's been fun to watch. I kind of just sit back and I'm, I I I fall somewhere in the middle. I, I'm I'm a millennial, you know. I, I'm right there on the cutoff of the millennial. So I kind of I kind of see things one way, and I kind of see things enough on the other side too. To me, as long as long as uh, you know it's quality content that's being created, it's not a lot of you know fluff. I'm not, I'm not talking about like it needs to be produced well. That's not fluff, but if it's just somebody blowing smoke, then you know no one no one needs that. I think there's a danger there with, with people who are just blowing smoke and newer newer people to the hobby listening to those to those guys and then getting burned on the other end. Uh, there might be some disgruntlement there that is unnecessary. So uh, as long as there's you know a healthy a healthy dose of good quality sound content and sound information out there to be had. All we can do is produce it and hope that, the, that it's uh, taken in.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things that I think it's like, you know, there's different mindsets, you know, even with now football seasons here. And the mindset of long-term for the most part, quarterbacks are the ones who have the long-term sustained value position. Players are more flash in the pan and short-term in, in nature for their values to be high and then fall back down. And that's being ignored. You know, that's one of those things that might maybe is being ignored by some of the new entrants. But they also have a completely different mindset on how long they want to hold and own a, a player. And if yeah. their mindset is, I only want to hold this card for a month, then that might be fine that three years from now, that star running back or wide receiver isn't going to necessarily have the same long-term value. That, that's not even on their mind. And so I've been thinking a lot about how do I serve both those, the, both those markets? Can't, is it even possible to serve both those markets, the, the longer term traditional collector as well as this new entrant? Is there a way to help educate that new collector on the logic and some of the thoughts behind some of those um, longer held beliefs or conventional wisdom while still leaving room? For them to collect the, the way that they want to collect and to continue to grow and adapt and evolve the ways that um, the, the hobby is is done in the future. I think there's there's gotta be some kind of middle ground between those two where you you don't just waffle around in the middle, mm-hmm. but still provide value to both of those things. And I think it's a challenging position that we find ourselves in. And I, frankly, I'm not even sure how possible it even is.
1: Yeah. It's, it's um, a tough line to walk for sure. Uh, I think a perfect example of this is, you know, we did the hobby hotline last week and the, the issue of the second year card coming up and, (laughs) you know, Ziggy, for those who didn't watch it, go back and check out the hobby hotline. Mike and I were on it. Uh, Ziggy No is a, uh, a contributor to the show, and he said, You know, it makes no sense with the second year cards doing what they're doing. Go back and look at uh, vintage cards and tell me a second year vintage card that, I mean, outside of Mickey Mantle or maybe, you know, Clemente or Ryan, that does what these modern second year cards are doing. And it'd be, it'd be tough to find. Um, I think that second year bump you're seeing is probably because of new guys in the hobby who can't get their hands on, uh, on the rookie card. So they're, they're getting what they can from the second-year card. And in, in some cases, like Mike Trout or LeBron James, their they're third-year card. And um, they're, they're causing a disruption into uh, what the old guard likes. And, uh, you know, where that old guard could have sold that, you know, readily sold that 50-cent 50 cent, 50 second-year card, you know, a year ago you know, they, now they can't find it because they sold it for 50 cents and it's being flipped for a hundred, you know? yep. So it's, it's a, it's pain. It's a pain in the butt, man. But uh, it, it's, it's like that line's there
0: somewhere. I just don't know where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a challenge. <laughs> definitely. All right. Definitely. Well, I've got a few rapid fire questions here to, mm-hmm. to end our conversation tonight. And so it's just uh, a few questions that that we'll see what your thoughts are so first of all what is your favorite non-sports card podcast
1: oh man I jump around a lot I don't I don't want my pastor to listen to this and uh, my favorite <laughs> my favorite murder I love my favorite murder uh I just it's a lot of fun and then uh, there's a I flip between that and lore there's a show called lore it's by uh, Aaron Aaron Mankey, and it is wonderfully produced. I tell people all the time, if you want to listen to a podcast, the growth of a podcast, go back and listen to Lore. Listen to it from episode one through all the way through the end. And just how this Aaron Makey has grown as a podcaster
0: is amazing. I'll have to check that out. I've not heard of either one of those. So I will have so, to check those out. As uh,
1: as a as a fellow believer in Christ, Mike, do not go listen to My, uh, my Favorite Murder. Uh, I can't recommend that one to you. But Lore... <laughs> I like lore a lot so it, it it deals with uh you know the lore of things monsters and and ghosts and things like that sure. the paranormal I like it a lot
0: okay all right now second outside of the previously mentioned 1987 top set what is your favorite junk era wax or junk era set
1: you know what it, <laughs> don't hate me for this uh 1991 flare. i like that mustard yellow it's, there you go it's ugly it's so ugly but the provision cards on the end of the set there are nice and that I go I go back to Juan Gonzalez I go I love that Juan Gonzalez from 91 Flare
0: yeah I found about 12 factory sealed 1991 flare sets in this million card inventory that I, I picked nice. up and uh, I've already sold them all somebody uh, came in and, and bought them all up so
1: plus Juan, Juan Ray you Ray, right you can find him and get twelve thousand dollars <laughs> for it <laughs>
0: All right, and finally, what is something that you learned outside the hobby that has had the biggest impact on you inside the hobby?
1: Mm.
0: That's a tough question. That um, one's not as rapid fire. That's a, that's a more insightful one.
1: That really is. I mean, I initially want – like, my when you said that, I wanted to say patience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But, like, that's not going to help you right now. Patience in the hobby is not – going to help. Um, you know what though, honestly, for what I do and where I work is time management. Uh, it's being organized and being prepared. And if you're not those things, uh, in this hobby, you're probably not going to last long.
0: Very cool. All right. So where can people find you and follow you and find the show?
1: So, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, at Beckett live, uh, Beckett Live Presents was too long. They wouldn't let me have it. So at Beckett Live, you can find us there. You can find us uh, on all the Beckett Facebook pages. You'll you'll see a link to the show. Uh, we go live every Tuesday. Actually, Tuesday nights are different. Tuesday nights um, is called Beckett Live Presents The Grad School. So that's me and Steve Grad. If you like Pawn Stars and you're a fan of Steve Grad, uh, we do an autograph show every Tuesday night and it's a lot of fun. And then Wednesdays and Thursdays, I kind of run the show and I get to Bring on the guests that I want to bring on, and we have a lot of fun doing uh, doing that. I just, I mean, one week it might be a collector, and then you know the next the next week it might be uh, the all time leading career receptions leader in the, in the NCAA. So you know it's uh, it's a little fun, and I get to do what I kind of want to do there. And uh, we always talk we always talk a little bit of the hobby, but we get some life stuff in there too.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you again for coming on and joining me tonight. Um, it's always good to talk. And I love getting insight and perspective from folks who have been doing this a lot longer than me. So thanks again, Eric. Thank you, sir.